If you have Bibles with you, please open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. So we began, we started this journey into John's Gospel back on October 10, 2013. We did take about an eight-month break from October 2014 to June 2015, and occasionally I sprinkled in what I like to refer to as a one-of message uh, here and there. But for the most part, we've stayed the course uh, through John's Gospel, some 75 messages spanning about two and a half years, if my count is correct. Today, we will complete our journey into the Gospel of John. We'll look at the reinstatement of Peter. So, you can follow along on the screen, or if you have your own Bible, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? But you must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word, the life that's in your word. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of John and this this journey we've been on into it. Lord, I pray you use me today to speak your words to your people in a way that's life-giving. Let it be life to them, Lord. Let this be the result for all of us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Make us to be more like you. Amen? Amen. So we end the Gospel of John with the reinstatement of Peter. One question asked three times, three responses. One instruction said three different ways. Let's take a closer look. What's going on here? Why is this conversation between Jesus and Peter part of this Gospel's conclusion? From the beginning, from the beginning, 
of my time here, certainly throughout the Gospel of John, I've been telling you that with Jesus, it is all about relationship. It's no surprise that this Gospel ends, and it's all about relationship here as well. So first, a little backstory. Back in, when we looked at John chapter 13, lo, so many months ago, it was the Last Supper. The disciples were in the upper room with Jesus, and Jesus tells his disciples that he's going away. In John 13, 33, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I have told the Jews, so I'll tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Peter reacts strongly to this in verse 37. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And it's here that Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Verse 38, he's, then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You know what? That's exactly what happened. In John 18, the first denial happened in verse 17. The second denial at verse 26, and the third denial at verse 27. Matthew records it this way in chapter 26, verses 69 to 75 of his gospel. It says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. You have to understand, Jesus had been arrested at this point. There's, there's great confusion. The disciples don't know what's going on. And Peter's tagging along, hopefully hoping to get some information. Some of the Gospels say that he's warming himself by a fire. By a fire. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him, and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Man, that's brutal. That's just brutal. Could you, could you put yourself in Peter's shoes right now? Right? Obviously, he's, he's behaving out of fear and terror. Jesus, who he loves, has just been arrested. His whole world is crumbling, and he's got to be afraid he's going to be arrested next. And they, that community knew all too well. You get arrested, bad things are going to happen to you. Bad things happen to Jesus. I'm sure Peter had to be concerned about that as well. No doubt, this is one of the lowest moments of Peter's life, maybe the lowest moment of his life. The man he loved and followed and to whom he made many grandiose promises, he, now he denies even knowing him. And why? Well, circumstances have turned against him. It's easy to make those grandiose promises in the upper room when it's just Jesus and your close buddies, but out in the courtyard, when everything's going down the way it is, circumstances change. So he hears that rooster crow. I can only imagine. It had to be absolutely crushing for him. Crushing, humbling, 
and humiliating. It would be for me. I'm sure this is an experience not easily forgotten. It happened not that long ago. Maybe if you read the gospel accounts, it's maybe two to three weeks earlier is when this happened. It's still got to be fresh in Peter's mind. Especially while he and Peter chat over breakfast on the shores of Galilee. Can you relate to Peter at all? Have you ever blown it big time? Have you ever screwed up so badly that you have a hard time going to God and, and you're just too embarrassed to even pray? Man, I've been there. More times than I can't account, right? I feel terrible. And I know the best thing for me is to go to God, but it's the last thing I want to do because I feel so bad. But I love what happens here between Jesus and Peter. What happens in this exchange gives me just great, great hope. And I'm hoping it gives that to you as well. Notice this. Notice that it wasn't Peter that went to Jesus. It was Jesus that goes to Peter. It wasn't like Jesus was hanging off on the side and thinking, man, I've been so good to Peter, follow me all this time. He's done all these stupid things. I even rescued him when he tried to walk on water. And here he is, not even coming over to me, not even apologizing. He denied even, no, no. Jesus didn't do any of that. There's nothing of that recorded. Peter's got to be feeling terrible. He knows he did something wrong. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to him. He doesn't wait for Peter to come to himself, but Jesus goes to Peter. Gone Gone are the grandiose promises and the bold proclamations that have been common with Peter. Here we do see a far humbler Peter, more humble Peter than we've grown accustomed to. But Peter blew it big time. In anybody's book, any estimate, any way you look at this, Peter blew it. And still, it was Jesus who went to him. That's amazing. Remember that the next time you blow it big time. It's Jesus who comes to you. He's not waiting for you to come to him. He'll come to you. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you realize just how astonishing this is? Jesus is God. He came in the flesh. He is the son of God, unequivocally. Not, and if more than that, he rose from the dead. This is Jesus Christ, the son of God, the risen Messiah. And the, he's king of kings and lord of lords in this moment. There is no more powerful being in all the universe than Jesus. He's God. And what does he say to Peter? He says, do you love me? What God wants to be loved? Any man-made God? Any other gods in mythology? All other religions? They want to be feared. They, of course, they want to be obeyed, and if they're not, there's stiff penalties. And they want to be served, absolutely want to be served. But loved? Love? No man-made God cares about being loved. Only our God cares about being loved. Because our God is love. Love is the very essence of his nature. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, asks about love, the risen Messiah who had just conquered, held death in the grave, asked Peter about love. The God who supernaturally rose from the dead, and then, by the way, like I told you the last time, made breakfast for his friends, 
Ask Peter, do you love me? We have a God who makes breakfast for his friends and then inquires about whether or not we love him. I dare say that the God that many of us were raised to believe in is very different than those images we've been given. Because if you, if you still, even after all this time through the Gospel of John, see God as the angry judge who can hardly wait to drop the hammer on you, there's nothing in Jesus that portrays that picture. Jesus presents himself very differently. And Scripture says that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Our Heavenly Father is the one who makes breakfast for his friends and asks us, do you love me? That's what he's concerned about. Guys, listen to me. It is all about relationship. Christianity is all about relationship. It's not about programs or buildings or budgets or numbers. It's about relationship. The reason why we exist, the reason why Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it is because God wants relationship with his creation. He wants close, intimate friendship with you and with me. And this is what Jesus is showing Peter right now. I know that there are many sermons that cover this text and they focus on the different Greek words here used for love, agape versus philos or filio, love, God self-sacrificing, selfless love versus friendly affection. Um, but, and I'm sure that's significant, but that's not my point here today. I want to take a different look at this. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus didn't ask Peter. Now remember, Peter blew it big time. Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, are you sorry for denying me? He didn't say, Peter, you need to repent for your sin against me. You denied me, Peter, and that really hurt my feelings, and you wounded me, and you need to repent. That's not in the text. He didn't ask Peter, Peter, if we're going to be friends, you need to make a promise to me that you're never, ever, ever going to do this again. Jesus didn't say that to Peter either. Jesus didn't ask for obedience, repentance, vows, appropriate conduct, or performance in any shape, form, or manner. Nothing. He didn't, he didn't do that at all. Jesus never asked Peter to jump through any religious hoops. Not one. And it's not like Peter's innocent. It's not like there's some trumped-up charges against him. It's not like there's false accusations or gossip. Oh, Peter was a bad guy. Peter blew it. And still, Jesus doesn't ask him to do any of that stuff. Instead, Jesus asks for his heart. Instead, Jesus asks for relationship. Instead, Jesus asks for love. Notice, Jesus doesn't say one word looking back. I imagine Peter's looking back. But Jesus doesn't say one word looking back. Everything that Jesus says to Peter is present, focused. Do you love me? Do you love me right now, Peter? and feed my sheep. Do you love me? Jesus never mentions Peter's denial. He never mentions Peter's past. What Jesus is doing here, he's telling Peter that he's still in. He's telling Peter, you haven't been kicked out of the family. I know that, you know, I told you you'd be an apostle and all, but uh, you blew it, you're out. He's not telling him that. 
He's telling him just the opposite. More than that, he asked Peter basically to pick up the baton. Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm adding in now, but it's as if Jesus was saying, Peter, I am passing the baton to you. Not only is he not punishing Peter, not only is he uh, not reminding him of the past, he speaks about relationship, and then he, he entrusts to Peter that which is most dear to him, his followers. Peter, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs, Peter. He's saying, Peter, I trust you. Peter, I love you. I respect you enough. I know you, Peter. I know that you are not who you appear to be on your worst day. I know who you really are. I know your heart. I know your heart. We all have bad days. Peter had a bad day. That bad day absolutely does not define who Peter is, certainly not in Jesus' eyes. He's telling Peter, Peter, there's still a place for you, a trusted place. He says, I, he's as if he's saying, I love you, Peter, and I still trust you, and I entrust to you what is most important to me. The people who have been following me. Guys, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he loves us. And that no matter what we've done, we are not disqualified in the eyes of God. He's just too massive. He's just too big for that. He is as sophisticated and grand as in, and as advanced compared to us as we are to amoebas. Imagine having an ant farm. Is it even possible that one of those ants could offend you? <laughs> an ant was having a bad day. Didn't make the tunnel he was supposed to have. Squash that ant, you know? And my feelings are hurt, so I can't have any connection with that ant. That's not the way God looks at us at all. We are his sons and his daughters. He loves us with a great and lavish love. His love is much bigger than our foolishness. It's much grander than our mistakes. And the blood of Jesus was far more than enough to deal with our sin. God sees us beyond all that. We get lost sometimes in the middle of our story. When we get stuck in the mud on our journey. When we get tripped up and we fall down and our knees get scraped or we bust our lip. God sees us at the end of our journey. He knows how it's going to end. Get this. I've been, July will be 40 years that I'm a Christian. I've screwed up a lot in 40 years. I've made some bonehead mistakes along the way. And God knew all of that. He knew every stupid thing I would do and still he called me. And when I ran for him, he chased me down and captured my heart and won me over. Never once was he surprised by the stupid things Tom Zawacki would do. His love was enough. I don't sit here as someone who's perfected this journey. I'm sitting here as someone who's screwed up as bad as anybody. But I've just become convinced that God's bigger than my screw-ups. And I want to tell you the good news today is that he's bigger than yours. Because it's bigger than Peter's. Now, we all done stupid things. Be hard-pressed to say, I, I blew it worse than Peter did. Right? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he loves us. And that no matter what we've done, we're not disqualified in the eyes of God. The good news is that it's not about performance. It's never been about performance. It's not about how good you are, or how holy you are, or how much money you give. How often you show up at church on Sunday. It's all about 
relationship. And I got to tell you, that's liberating. Jesus' love for Peter is the standard that he modeled for us, that, he, that we would know that he loves us in the same way. And that hopefully, after we've experienced his, his love in that manner, that we'll be able to love other people that way. Scripture says that we love because he first loved us. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, once you've, once you've tasted of unconditional love, when you know that, when I know I haven't deserved it, it makes it so much easier to extend unconditional love to other people. I can love because he first loved me. There's a little bit more to the text. Verse 18, Jesus prophesies over Peter. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, the text tells us, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter's death, traditionally, it's not in Scripture, but traditionally, uh, Roman authorities sentenced Peter to death by crucifixion, and according to the apocryphal acts of Peter, he was crucified upside down. Tradition also locates his burial place where the Basilica of St. Peter was later built uh, directly beneath the Basilica's high uh, altar. The portion of, of Jesus' prophetic word to Peter about, you know, your hands will be stretched out, could be a pointing to crucifixion. That's what happens in crucifixion. The other half of verse 19, Jesus gives Peter the very same call he'd heard from the very beginning. Verse 19, he says, then he said to him, follow me. I tell you what, I tell you what, after going through the Gospel of John, I feel like I have a fresh, new appreciation and insight into who Jesus is. I'll follow him. Man, I'd gladly follow him without hesitation, without reservation. I'll follow this Jesus. A Jesus who loves like this, I'll follow him. How about you? Verses 20 to 23 speak about the Apostle John. Peter saw, turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers uh, that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Here, John takes a few lines at the end of his gospel to clear up some confusion concerning his own life and death. Apparently, there had been a rumor among the believers that the Lord prophesied John would still be alive when he came back. John uses these verses to make it perfectly clear that Jesus had only spoken hypothetically about this. Verse 24, John concludes the gospel with these words. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. As if this were a legal document here, John is officially stating the accuracy of the document. Here he's testifying as an eyewitness to the truthfulness of all the accounts recorded therein. And he 
And he ends with this final statement. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that are written within. If I could have Angie and Colin come up, we'll, we'll close on a final song in a couple of minutes. But that's the last verse of the Gospel of John. We've gone through 21 chapters, 879 verses, and at least in the Greek New Testament, 15,635 words. With all that, it's not even close to a comprehensive account of all the things Jesus did. Our God is big. He's uncontainable. He's indescribable. He's amazing and astonishing. He's awesome. And he's wonder-filled. And all of it is the pure essence of love. And get this. He loves us like crazy. God loves you. I've said it before. It's worth repeating now. God is not mad at you. He wasn't mad at Peter. God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. The awesomeness of our God simply cannot be contained within the limits of a book. Nor can he be contained within our feeble ability to comprehend and understand. God's greater than our trials. He's grander than our circumstances. The Gospel of John is a wonderful account of Jesus' life. John portrays the Son of God as a kind, loving, and compassionate Messiah. John paints a picture of Jesus as being highly relational and not the least bit religious. Repeatedly throughout the, this gospel, we see Jesus bucking the status quo and rejecting the religious shackles of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the chief priests, all the while loving extravagantly the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the sinners just like us. If your life feels like a mess today, if you feel like 10 pounds of sin in a 5-pound bag, if you too reject the shackles of institutionalized religion, then let me tell you, Jesus is perfect for you. And you're exactly the type of person that he calls friend. I hope you've enjoyed this journey through the Gospel of John. It's been my honor. It's been a delightful pleasure and a privilege to lead you through it. So why don't we stand and sing a final song this morning with or without words.
you know, when you go to the cross and you accept Jesus into your life, he forgives all of your sins at that moment. At that moment. Okay? So follow me down this little bread trail. So at that moment, he has forgiven everything that you've done. So yesterday, when you went through the waters of baptism, he knew the mistakes you were going to make today. He knew the mistakes you were going to make tomorrow. He knew all of those things. So when we get to those mistakes, we don't need to say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Just say, God, thank you for your forgiveness. You get it? Because he's already forgiven us. We don't need to beat ourselves over the head over this because we've already received the forgiveness from that day. Does that make sense? Does everybody get that? That so freed me, I'm telling you, for a long time. That really set me free in a lot of ways. And you've got to practice it in your head, right? You've got to think, okay, I've done something wrong. And you get into that posture where it's like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I did it again. I'm never going to do it again. And then it's like, no, wait. You've already forgiven me. Thank you. And it just switches the, the posture of your heart, right? Because you're in fear. When you're saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You're in fear and you're in anxiety. But as soon as you say, hey, you love me. Thank you. Then it's just gone. It's just gone. Good stuff. If you guys need prayer this morning, if there's anything you're dealing with, you'd like somebody to pray with you, while they lead us to a final song, I encourage you to come down. There's a really big God who loves you like crazy. He's ready to meet you. Love you guys.